0: Welcome to the Art of Losing Podcast. I'm your host, Julianne Mansky Roloffson. One of my favorite quotes from the movie Steel Magnolias comes from Dolly Parton's character Truby when she says, Laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. On this week's episode, I'm talking to Kathleen Wallace, the creator of a comedy about grief and loss. What's so funny about loss, you might wonder? In this conversation, you'll learn where Kathleen found the inspiration and material for this project and the impact she hopes it will have. Kathleen is brilliant and thoughtful and full of heart, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her. So please enjoy this episode of The Art of Losing with Kathleen Wallace. Well, I am thrilled to have the chance to talk to my next guest here. As you'll hear, I actually have a pretty long history with this guest, Kathleen Wallace. And Kathleen, I could not be more excited to be having this conversation. Thank you for joining me.
1: Oh, Julianne, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting now that we work with each other in a very different realm. than we used to. And we'll be able to say more about that. But it was just maybe a year ago that we recognized that we both had kind of stepped into this world of grief. And if you wouldn't mind taking us back a little bit, what brought you into this world?
1: Yeah, so what brought me specifically into the world of grief, how you and I intersect it, was that I, I thought I was very good at processing grief, and it turned out that I really was not. <laughs> and what happened was my father passed away. And uh, I actually, we should start a timer and see how long it takes me before I cry. But uh, done, timer is off. <laughs> Um, and I, the way, the way that I grieved was I immediately went into like lockdown, get things done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in the course of that, I started to realize that the way people were interacting with me said a lot about how we deal with grief in society. And I started keeping just for my own mental health track of really spectacularly awkward interactions that I had had. Uh, you know, for example, I buried myself in work after my father died. And one of the things I was doing is I was producing a video series for a research group. And one of the people working on that set, every time people will become aware that, I was recently bereaved. He would say to me, your father would be so proud of you. He'd be so proud of you. And I it was like internally I'm screaming. I know. <laughs> That's not the problem. The problem is he's not here. Shut up. <laughs> but outwardly, I'm going to thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You know, and and as I started to talk to more people who had lost a parent, The more I realized that experiences like that were really common. So I started to write them down just as a way for me to be like, I'm not crazy. People actually are responding this way. This really happened. (laughs) This really happened. And I just, can we just know that this is the way some people actually speak to each other in the world?
0: Yes. And I want to go back to something you said, because it is true that those of us who have read, most of us have had that experience where someone says something and I actually can't believe that that came out of that person's mouth. And, and a lot of us do what you do, where we have one internal reaction and one external reaction. And I also know that I have been the awkward one. And I'm still the awkward one sometimes. And Absolutely. I'm still the one who doesn't always know the right things to do or gets really nervous around even approaching it. One thing that you said is that you kind of thought that you were good at processing grief and then kind of realized maybe that the reality is harder or different than you thought it would be. Can you talk a little about that?
1: Yes. So I thought, oh, I'm handling it really well. I'm doing really well. I'm getting through the days. I'm crying. I'm giving myself space. Fortunately, a very dear friend of mine, Amy Kirsten, was working on a film in Hungary just a couple months after my father died. She said, I have a room here, come stay with me. I was like, look at me going on a grief trip. Like, oh, this is, you know, I'm processing, I'm doing all the things, but I really wasn't. And so about a month and a half, maybe two months before the first anniversary of my father's death, I really just was not functioning well. And all of a sudden it was like, Oh no, grief is going to have its way with you. Like you can push it down for a while, but grief is going to have its way with you. And now you're going to have to deal with it.
0: Yeah. As my mentor and colleague and friend, Megan Riordan Jarvis says, you know, that grief is the energy that exists in our body as a result of loss. And so what I hear you saying is that you can kind of move that energy around in certain ways. But until we actually move it through, it's there and it shows up in different ways. And, you know, you even said, you know, I'm doing the thing. I'm taking the trip. I'm I'm doing these things. And, you know, even sometimes what I'll see people do is, you know, if someone has a, a really a devastating loss and they might immediately start a foundation in that person's name or, you know, do something that feels like you want to create meaning, you want to create a legacy And even, you know, seeing that from the outside, oftentimes people look and say, wow, they're really doing something with their grief, where in fact, it can be exactly what you're talking about, where that can even be a way of bypassing grief. Although it seems like an action, people can get very busy taking those actions. Yes. Yes. And to the outside world, that can look like, look at that person grieving. And internally, what really happens is that they eventually have the same realization you have. It might be six months from then, it might be 15 years from then, that there's still stuff here that I haven't worked through.
1: Oh, yes. And that will it make itself known. So, <laughs> so there's, you know, and when it does hopefully you can then at that point in time, take a step back and say, okay, I really have to deal with this now. And and I want to reiterate something you said there. that was one of the things that when I finally was forced to deal with my grief, really go in and process my grief, the surprise that I had that it was a physiological experience and not just a mental and emotional experience. I went to acupuncture because i had gained a lot of weight and i and i knew that you know after dad died it was it carbs were my best friend and scones will always be there for me it'll be great but then i had started i was like okay i I moved through that period and now i'm eating well and i'm working out and i don't know why the weight won't come off and i went to an acupuncturist for that and for a couple other things and i'm explaining everything to him and he looked at me and he said well of course, your body's holding on to resources. You just suffered a major loss. And it was this moment of, oh, oh, right.
0: The processing is not just a mental exercise, it's a physical exercise too. You went to the right person because there are so many people that I've talked to and whose stories I've heard where. They go to the doctor and say, Why am I feeling this? And it, the number of physiological ways it shows up are, are pretty big. And so often people miss that it's grief and that grief shows up in our bodies. And what you just said is so true in that our society really wishes it was a cognitive thing, as, as it assumes and, <laughs> and deals with most things, right? Yes, yes. We are in a very cognitive focused society that really has missed a lot of the holistic connections that I would say our ancestors and a lot of other societies have hung on to. And so it gets missed so often that it could be a year, two years down the road, and you're still having physiological symptoms and someone is not going to, a lot of people are not going to tie that to grief. Thankfully, you had an acupuncturist who did. No, I'm super grateful. I'm so grateful. And part of what that experience
1: and that insight helped me with was then recognizing grief in other areas of my life. Grief that a certain time period of my life has come to an end or a project has come to an end or uh, something that I was hoping would happen didn't happen. Or uh, I had a friend who shortly after my father passed away was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she passed away last year. and. Recognizing that grief is not just someone dying. Yeah, it's not. And it's not, and letting my body inform me of other times that I'm grieving.
0: What changed for you as a result of widening your view of what constitutes grief and your ability to recognize when that shows up?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is compassion because. Now, I mean, the world is a lot. (laughs) The world is a lot. And I will have interactions with people where they're short with me or they get frustrated with me. And instead of my inner New Yorker kicking in with, you know, what's your problem? Instead, I get curious. The compassion kicks in and I don't know what's going on in their lives. And let me give them space to be human.
0: Yeah. And now you've recognized that so many people are experiencing loss of so many different kinds at any given time. It does not need to be a death. You know, you and I have done a lot of work in the corporate world and and that's, you know, how Kathleen and I met. We worked for a company called S&P Communications and we did a lot of consulting. And I know you still do in terms of communication skills and all the different ways that that can show up. And the reason I bring that up now is as you were talking, you know, one of my dreams is those of us in a corporate setting know that oftentimes you get a team together and as part of team bonding, someone might say, you know, does anyone have anything to celebrate this week? Does anyone have anything, you know, any wins for this week? It's all about wins. And my dream is to incorporate loss into that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have anything, any losses, anything they're grieving right now? Right. And it doesn't need to be all of a sudden this big heavy thing that's bringing everything down. It's an acknowledgement that if we're going to be able to talk about winning, we need to be able to talk about losing. And I would love to see that to be part of the conversation because that speaks to what you're saying of walking around with the knowledge that those things are happening all around us and they impact how people are approaching the world and how they're getting through their days
1: yeah actually you hit on another gift of knowing that i can listen to my body for when i'm grieving and it's also changed the way that i communicate with other people about my grief for example after my friend who had cancer passed away last spring i sent some emails i'm not proud of (laughs) it was really spectacular like it was spectacularly bad with all due respect I don't believe that you completely understand my concerns, you know, and we're communications people, you and I, you know, we know that this is not the way to communicate. And it was worse than had to have a meeting about the email that I sent and do the apology tour. And I then had this moment of, oh, but you know what? My, my friend is dying. And she in fact died, or I can't remember when in relation to, to her death that that was, but I then had a couple meetings where I said, I am not okay. Yeah. I am not okay. And not something I would have done
0: before this experience. No, you know, it sounds like after the fact you recognize, you know, we all have a window of tolerance and a lot of things can impact where we are within that window at any given time, but push any of us outside of that window. We're going to be writing those emails with all due respect. <laughs> you know, we're, yes. we're going to be writing those things that we wouldn't in times where we're feeling more regulated. I'm curious, how did it go when you acknowledged to people, you know, I'm, I'm not okay? Varying responses. Some people kind
1: of nodded and moved on and other people would say, you know, I'm so sorry. Tell us what you need. So that I think is another reason why we have to bring conversations about grief out of the taboo
0: and into society and into the workplace, Yeah, which is a great segue into the genesis of of the, the project that I'm lucky enough to be involved in now. You know, this all came from your recognition of current state of grief in our culture and hopeful future state that you'd love to contribute to us moving towards. Yeah. So the
1: project is called Grief a Comedy. And it started as a short film and is now being developed into a series, a television series, which is very exciting. And it involves Cammy, who is on her the short film is Cammy's first day back from bereavement leave after her father's death. And it's just a series of spectacularly awkward interactions almost all of which happened either to myself or someone that I spoke to after my father's death. But there are many different ways I could go. I could I could talk about from here. What should I talk about, Julian?
0: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I'd, I'd love to tell listeners that I have had the chance to see the first version of the short film performed. And it's amazing because it's so funny. You know, these are things that I assume some you wrote down verbatim. Of things that you either heard people say to a griever or had someone say to you. And it's one of those situations where it's so bad that it's funny, right? That's yes. why I know that the, you know, the the title Grief a comedy, of course, is funny because you don't put those two things together. And when I saw the phenomenal actors you pulled together to perform this, it's laugh out loud funny. And these are things that people actually say to grievers. Yes, exactly.
1: Exactly. And and that's part of the point of doing this. And, and also, I, I should say thank you so much for, for everybody listening. Julianne is on our advisory board and keeping me as a writer honest about the way we're discussing grief in the show. And one of the reasons that we're so grateful for your input, Julianne, and, and why we find that so important is that if we can change the way we tell stories around grief, then we can Open up doors for people to recognize what they're doing, what they're experiencing, what they could change, where we should have more compassion, and how we can all become more aware.
0: Yeah. And, and such a lovely way to come into it through laughter, through humor, almost us all being able to laugh at ourselves a little bit in terms of we're awkward. This is awkward. And it's going to continue to be awkward for a while, like as we make that shift as a culture. And it's okay to step into that awkwardness. How would you describe the relationship between humor and grief as you see it? Well, one of the things that I learned, so I have a
1: master's degree in acting, and one of the things that I learned in graduate school was that the physiological mechanism of crying and laughing is the same. So there is a release that you get to have from crying, but there's a release that you get to have through laughter. And we as a society are more open to laughing than we are to crying. And so if we can use humor to show a story about something that we don't normally talk about, then that opens the door for us to think about it, opens the door for us to have a conversation around it.
0: Absolutely. and I did not know that about laughter and crying. That's fascinating. And also not that surprising. As humans who've experienced both, that seems right. What's interesting about that was that learning was part of a voice class, because you have to be able to take
1: care of your voice, going back to grief being a physiological experience. You have to to be able to take care of your voice on stage, whether you're laughing, whether you're crying. So you have to know
0: what the process is so you can continue to take care of your body. That makes so much sense. And like I said, the initial version of Grief a Comedy that I saw is the version that mostly, I would say 80% of it takes place in the workplace. And we've talked about that a little bit, but I'd love to dig into why you made that choice and why the workplace was an important setting for you for this.
1: Yeah. So the workplace was an important setting for this because there are rules about how we behave that we ascribe to the workplace. And a lot of times when we talk about the workplace, what we'll talk about is the logical, the cognitive, the, you know, don't get too emotional. You can't do this. You can't do that. And what we're not creating space for there is the whole human to show up at work. And There are so many different studies about psychological safety and high-performing teams and, and how if we allow whole human beings to show up as opposed to just the prefrontal cortex showing up into the workplace, how that impacts the bottom line, how it impacts retention. It's also where most of us spend a good chunk of our lives. You know, if you think about the hours you spend at work plus the hours you spend sleeping, there's really not a lot of your day that you're spending with
0: your friends and your family. It's so true. It is it is where we spend most of our time. It's why, you know, Megan and I have decided to focus a lot of our work there. As you were talking, I actually flashed back to, you know, work we used to do. One of the programs that I've done most often with you was around training leaders to get to that next level, pretty high level in an organization, but really giving them the leadership skills needed. And what's fascinating about that is it was a two-day program. We spent a large portion of it, I'd say at least 50% on storytelling. Mm -hmm. And the stories that came out of that were the personal stories. You know, I can just, as I'm talking, remember specific stories people had about deaths that they had experienced and the impact that it had. On their lives. And at the time, you and I weren't talking about this in terms of grief. We weren't mentioning grief and loss in the workplace, but it was there. And those stories were such a powerful way for people to connect, even though at the time, it felt like for a lot of them, like they were pushing outside of something that belonged in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Stories are so powerful in shifting
1: culture. There is an example that I always use is uh, the very last season of Murphy Brown. They made a character arc, uh, a story arc uh, where Murphy Brown would have breast cancer. And it wasn't, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, we would have a very special episode, you know, and, and there was a major problem that was solved in 45 minutes. This was very different in that it was an entire season of Murphy Brown dealing with breast cancer. In the United States that year, the number of women getting mammograms went up by 30%. And with Grief of Comedy, my creative partners, Madeline Johnson and Nancy McGrant and I were very interested in this impact producing. How can we use this story to change our culture? And I think that that's part of what you're picking up on there, Julianne, with this, these stories that we would hear these leaders tell is that they could access their inner humanity and they knew that these deep stories that that
0: was what would connect with people and change uh where they were working that's such a powerful example of it and so interesting to think that it wasn't too long ago that we didn't talk about things like breast cancer you know and I yeah. know you and I have had side conversations that our hope is that we're going to see that actual shift happen where grief isn't as taboo as it was, where it is more parts of conversation, where we look back, just like we're doing with Murphy Brown and say, like, remember when it was a hushed tone and a side conversation and not on prime time? And I know that that's the work that you and Madeline and Nancy are doing. So yeah. can you tell us more about your visions for this project? I know it continues to evolve. Yeah. So one of the things that
1: I want to do with this project is the main character, Cami really is responding to her father's death the way that I did, where she, she's she got it all together. She's got it. She's keeping it all in. And one of the reasons that that was important to me was that I feel like a lot of our current stories around grief are about people falling apart. And I think that there are some great stories out there that I am grateful for. There's afterlife, there's shrinking. I think flea bag is one of the best things Written to me, it's one of my favorite shows about grief because you don't realize it's about grief right away. But all of those people are a mess in their own way. And that is one way people deal with grief, but it's not the only way. And so, one of the things that we're doing in expanding the short film into a series is every person that you meet in the series is dealing with loss in a different way there is the obvious loss of Cammie's father. I've given Cammie's mother uh, cancer, which is what I wrote that in when I had the moment where I was like, oh, you know, this would be, I was like, oh, look at me dealing with my friend's death. We're just going to pile it all into one series. <laughs> how, did pop, how did that pop into your brain? Yes. <laughs> well, it. I was thinking, what are the ramifications for this character's life? Because I'm not the character, you know, of course, there's part of me in every single person that I'm writing, but I'm not Cammy. Uh So it's, what are the ramifications for her life? And it was like, well, what, how, what changes in her friendship? What's what changes in her work life? What changes in her family life? And I had this moment where I thought, well, what if one of the things we don't talk about is anticipatory grief and something else I experienced with my friend, Tanya, who uh, passed last, uh, this past spring was her mourning her own life and her we should have started the timer again. <laughs> um her mourning, her sense of safety in her in her own body, her mourning, her abilities. These are all different forms of grief that Many people are dealing with in a lot of different ways. Cammie's best friend in this series is a party girl turned new mother. And now all of a sudden she can't do what she used to do. She doesn't have the social life she used to have. She doesn't get to have the fun. I mean, she has fun, but it's changed. But that is also mourning that Cammy is going for a promotion. And when her father dies, the company responds by saying, let's not push you into this new role just yet. And so that's another layer of grief for Cammy: is losing that opportunity or seeing that opportunity. She hasn't fully lost it yet. I won't tell you whether or not she loses it entirely. But the idea that that might go away, that's also a form of loss.
0: Yeah. The loss of however small or large a part of our identity, a vision of how we thought things were going to look they don't look that way anymore. And as you said, that happens through motherhood. It happens through a work thing not happy. happens through getting laid off. It happens through all of these different things. And I love not only that you will be educating people on all different sorts of grief. There's a term called disenfranchised grief too, where people don't even feel like they're allowed to grieve certain things, right? It's like our relationship wasn't close enough or there just isn't permission to grieve in so many cases. And not to mention policies back that up right it's like if it's yeah. a if it's someone who's in your immediate family you get 3 days otherwise you can have one to go to the <laughs> funeral and, and they're they're putting their own judgment on how much you yeah. should be able to grieve and what i also love that you're saying is it recognizes that grief can look so many different ways the way that the griever is showing up and experiencing it and and we don't acknowledge that in the way that we should. And what I hear more often than not, especially in my role as a therapist now, is someone saying, you know, I'm not grieving correctly. Like it, whether mm-hmm. or not they're saying that, they're telling me that in different ways. Like I'm not doing this right. Mm-hmm. And we think that because it's like, oh, if this person's not not crying, mm, have they really grieved, right? And maybe it's my place to tell them that they haven't grieved, where grief can look a whole bunch of different ways. You know, the dual process model of grief tells us that some parts of grief are going to be more emotionally focused and some are much more about moving forward and, and doing things and that both of those things are grieving, So I love that you're not only like introducing new grief concepts through the different things that people are going through, but also showing us that the spectrum of the ways that grief can show up can look really different. And it doesn't mean that one is better or worse or that one is processing more or less. Yeah, yeah, that it's a very individual process, and that
1: we get to start to go move through our grief and then regress, (laughs) for lack of a better
0: term. It's not a direct path through grief. No, and again, that's why it's like you get three days up front from your company. Those three days—that's actually—I can't even come close to getting the admin associated with grief in three days, much less the emotional, (laughs) the emotional exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Is anybody who has had to deal with a funeral knows that it takes three days just to get somebody to call you back.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Part of this podcast promise is around the artistic concept of simultaneous contrast. And that describes the way in which we're only able to see colors in relation to other colors. Mm. And so I really wanted to bring this to you as an artist in terms of, you know, grieving all of a sudden brings this new color into our world. And so you lose your dad, all of a sudden that shade of color is changing the way you see everything else. And then I think what's interesting is all of the layers you're talking about. So it's also losing your friend. It's also, you know, any number of losses that you can experience and how all of a sudden our brain needs to kind of learn to see everything else a little bit differently. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, um, going to the eye doctor, and yeah. you know they say which is better this or this uh, it's just that in this instance you don't get to say which is better <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you, just, don't <laughs> you don't get a choice you don't get a choice that's that's the new lens on your eye you have to see the world through that and you will see it differently
0: and yeah. you will feel it differently yeah and and you know you're doing something that's actually physically showing people different things about grief and the grieving process but i'm curious from an internal perspective for you as someone who is a griever as well like what has that process been like for you creatively what has been the process created to allow myself to put my grief in into the art yeah like how how has I guess how has making the art from the grief impacted your grief itself or has it I would say that I haven't thought about it my gut response there is that it
1: has and it has in that it has uh, I think sharpened my empathy and my compassion, as I, particularly as I expand into the series and I start having to think about what are the many different ways that people are grieving, as I look at other people who are working in this area in both the entertainment industry and beyond. Thinking back now, like looking at the second Black Panther movie, you know, and, and Ryan Coogler dealing with Chadwick Boseman's death. And starting to now it's like, oh, okay, this is another way that people are talking about it. Now, what else can I bring to the conversation? Because it's really that impact producing is really about using the story to shift society.
0: Oh, yes. That was perfectly articulated. And I'm just now seeing again, you know, the eye doctors, different lens coming down and what I was thinking when you were saying is like that lens is making you view all art differently, right? You're yes. looking at Fleabag as a grief film. You're looking at the layers of Black Panther, you know, the second Black Panther and and where grief shows up there. And I think, you know, that beautifully answers the simultaneous contracts question. In that not only are you, are you seeing that differently, but that's bringing a different level of compassion mm-hmm. and empathy to everything that you do, which I'm sure yeah. is showing up in your art as well.
1: Yeah. And also as as you were saying, I, I thought of something else too, which is that the recognition that we within us contain multitudes and we can experience many different emotions simultaneously in rapid succession. I can laugh into cry into anger. I think of Andrew Garfield on, I think it was the late show with Stephen Colbert, talking about his mother and he's crying as he's smiling and talking about you know no it's good to remember her it's 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 good to have these conversations and we get to we get to do that
0: yeah i love that clip so much and how he is so overjoyed to have the opportunity to talk about his mom and that difficult emotion of it is coming through too like it's all yeah. there together yeah so we've mentioned that I am on the advisory board for Grief Academy. Comedy. So you and I have had a lot of conversations about our dreams of what this project could look like. But is there anything else you can share about kind of how you and your producing partners are dreaming of, of you know, in a perfect world, what, what is this going to look like?
1: Well, there's the BAFTA award, there's the Emmy award. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just send me my ticket. I will be there. (laughs) Just, you know, when Ava DuVernay comes on as executive producer, uh, I think in terms of the larger impact, though, it really would be something that we would be able to tap into the universal, something that would speak across cultures and also, I think, give people space to start to express their grief or interact around grief and also some tools to have those interactions and actually so julian one of the things that you have done with us is we did an event with yale women which is an alumni organization and we did a reading of the script and then you talked us through all of the awkward interactions and what was actually happening in that. And I just yesterday got a text message from somebody that said, I had to write a bereavement email at work and I'm still using that document that you sent us of everything you covered in that workshop. And we're connecting with other filmmakers who are doing work in the grief space. And we have a friend who is working on Grief Fest, trying to do, to put together a film festival about all films about grief. Um, there was just a conference. There's a group called the Endwell Project. It's a uh, doctor, I'm sure you know it. You, you know all the people in the grief space. Uh, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter, I think, I've if I'm saying her name correctly. Yeah. And just talking about how, again, how do we use this power of story to shift the conversation around this? Yeah. I mean, I keep coming back to that, but truly that's our big dream. Yes. Of course we get the series made. We are able to do more with this, but truly it's about the cultural shift that can happen through story.
0: Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I you know originally was so drawn into with the project is that there is an interactive experiential element that you guys have always brought into the project. And to be able to see that with Yale Women, you know, like you said, we all get to be brought into this world through laughter, through emotion, through horror of how people are, through awkwardness, like all of those emotions. And then to have that bring everyone into a space where it feels more comfortable to have these conversations. And so what can we do from that jumping off point to kind of start to change people's behavior. And, you know, again, you and I are both looking at this in the bigger picture of changing the overall culture.
1: And it's a nice tie in as we've said, you and I are communications people and it. So it really, it feels so good to be able to tie together these two areas of my life, these two gifts that I feel I've been given and to be able to have some impact by bringing them together and sharing it with the world.
0: Yes knowing you and your many talents, it really does feel like something that you were meant to do, kind of to bring all of these different pieces of your life together in this way to have such a big impact. So I am so proud of you. I am so happy for you. I'm so grateful to be part of this project. And so for those listeners who want to keep up with you, see what's happening with the project, where can they connect with you? Instagram is the best place to connect with us.
1: We are at grief, a comedy on Instagram. And if you go to our profile, you will find a link tree with links on more about the project and how to keep
0: in touch with us. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time today. And I'm so excited to see where this project and the, and the rest of your work leads. Thank you so much, Julianne. And I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Thank you. I loved this conversation with Kathleen, and I'm sure you'll join me in sending her and the grief a comedy team, all of the good vibes in the universe, as they continue to work hard to get it produced. So follow their project on Instagram, and you can follow me there too, at Julianne Roloffson. If you're listening to this on grief is my side hustle, please also subscribe to the art of losing podcast so you won't miss future episodes. Thanks again to Jakob Ballerson for this theme music and to you for listening.